it's like this incredible human tendency to to adjust right so we're incredibly good at adjusting to new situations but we're also incredibly bad in a way that we just adjust to success super quickly so we achieve something we kind of write it off it's like this is great what's the next thing um, and I think that to some extent is something that everybody has to work on and um, it's like defining what is really meaningful and purposeful right now and it might not be like a professional thing right it could be working on on a relationship that you have been neglecting for for some time Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Program Life Podcast, where we want our listeners, guests, and myself to learn something new. Our guest on this episode today is Sandra Matz. Sandra is the Associate Professor of Business at Columbia Business School in New York. As a computational social scientist, she studies human behavior and preferences using a combination of big data analytics and traditional experimental methods. Her research aims at understanding how psychological characteristics influence real-life outcomes in a number of business-related domains, with the goal of helping businesses and individuals to make better decisions. This is a two-part episode, where you're listening to the second part, where we'll be discussing about life and happiness. Do go check out and listen to the first part if you haven't already, where we discussed about psychological targeting and AI. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So I would like to dive in um, into your other TED talk also um, about uh, can money buy happiness. So first, I would like to ask you on what does success look like to you for you? That's a it's a wonderful question. Um, I mean, I think I was just recently think, contemplating about it, um, and I think as as many people have in in the context of the pandemic. Um, so I think for me, success is mostly defined by relationships, um, and that's both relationships with friends and family. But even when you think about it in in like the professional context, I think what makes me the proudest in terms of in terms of my own work is when I see my my students um, excel or like my students get a paper accepted or they get a job somewhere um, I think that's probably my my proudest moments when I feel like this is something that I could pass on something um, that I help facilitate uh, so those I think those are really the moments that I feel I've achieved something in life um, and that make me feel successful and it's it's certainly I mean, it's it's a very privileged position, honestly, to be in. To say it's not the money, um, because mm-hmm. a lot of people are not in that in that fortunate position to be able to say I don't care as much about money, um, and I'm happy to define my success in in other terms. Um, but I think if you think about what makes people happy, kind of transitioning to that, I think it's it's really kind of these social relationships that matter so much more. Yeah, and. I want to also delve into um, the different attitudes that people had before and mm-hmm. after success. So mm-hmm. it's almost like after success, people just either they have a completely different attitude or sometimes mm-hmm. they are actually much more better in a sense. So mm-hmm. um, there's this quote um, where, it's, where someone says, there are two things that define you, the patience when you have nothing and the attitude when you have everything. So what do you think of this quote and how does it apply to you personally? 
Yeah, I think it's it's it's, it's something that so I teach um, in a business school and I teach the introduction to to leadership to all of our incoming MBAs. Um, and one of the points that I mentioned in the very end um, is essentially kind of this idea that like what makes people happy? It's not it's not like it's not money. Right. So and this is part of the, the research that I've done. But if you look at people who've achieved achieved amazing things. So if you look at astronauts, that's the example that I give. Like astronauts, they, like they have done something that a handful of people has done, right? They've kind of flown to space and they've seen Earth from, from um, outer space. It's something that people dream of. And, and when you look at astronauts, actually what you see is that once they come back and they start their regular lives again, a lot of them are struggling with depression. A lot of them are struggling with alcoholism. Um, and it's like this idea that once you have achieved something and you see that with entrepreneurs, by the way, also like you have entrepreneurs who are extremely successful, they sell their company and then they suddenly lose their purpose um, and they just have to have nothing. Um, and I think that's it's um, it's like this incredible human tendency to to adjust. Right. So we're incredibly good at adjusting to new situations, but we're also incredibly bad in a way in that we just adjust to success super quickly. So we achieve something, we kind of write it off. It's like, this is great. What's the next thing? Um, and I think that to some extent is something that everybody has to work on. And um, it's like defining what is really meaningful and purposeful right now. And it might not be like a professional thing, right? It could be working on, on a relationship that you have been neglecting for, for some time. Um, but it's really this idea that once you've achieved something, like you just have to adjust your your expectations and say, okay, I've achieved this. This is amazing, but also like people just crave for for the next thing, and it's really just like the what we call the treadmill effect. Is that the faster you run, like the the faster you get used to it, right? So you make like as when I was a PhD student, it was like, okay, I have absolutely no money, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and kind of make a little bit more money, and you get used to it, and then you kind of make a little bit more money. And it's just that we're kind of animals of habit um, and it's really super important. And I kind of, I can't emphasize that enough with my MBA students is that we just adjust our expectations and we set things, we kind of set goals for ourselves that are somewhat, somewhat meaningful um, at every step in the way, because otherwise it's really hard to kind of maintain this, this positive um, attitude and drive. Yeah. And another book that I read that relates to happiness is called uh, the happiness advantage. And um, the author talks about an equation that you came up with, which is in con- in conventional views, we see that work hard, uh, it usually goes from working hard to success, and then you gain happiness. That's how we uh, see it. But then in reality, it's almost like you have happiness plus a positive mindset um, equals success. Do you think what what are, what are your thoughts on it? And do you agree with it? Yeah, I think a lot of the, the idea that you just have to work hard and then you're happy is is influenced by social expectations, right? It's the idea that this is yeah. what society expects of us. This is what we should be doing. Um, and there's like, I, I think it's like the same in English. I remember like in Germany, the, in German, there's this kind of saying, well, you either work to live or you live to work. Um, and I think it's it's, I mean, I'm for, again, like, I think it's a, it's a privileged position to be in where you can say, look, I have the opportunity to pick a profession or like a job that just is so much fun that I don't even consider it work. Um, 
But if that's not the case, I think it's really that, that it's it, it's so hard to say, well, this is it's something that society might expect from me. And I hopefully at some point that is going to change. I, I do think that a part of like the, the positive side of potentially automation could be that we think about work as as a meaningful component of life and not just something that puts um, food on the on the table. We'll kind of see where that goes. Um, but yeah, for me, it's definitely a lot more. I don't think um, you you achieve happiness uh, exclusively through work and, and success because it's mm-hmm. fickle. like success is fickle. This is like you might be successful today. You might not be successful tomorrow. And as I said, we just adjust so quickly. I just have to think like even if I think about myself, right, there's um, like an academia that the one thing that you want to do is publish papers um, and you work on a paper for a couple of years. And then you have this moment when it finally gets published and you're kind of happy for a day or two. And then, and then that's it. Um, and I think if that's the only way in which you define happiness is like these, these professional successes, it's incredibly hard to maintain, um, that in the long run. Yeah. And, um, another part of the book says that if we wait for happiness when, when, well, waiting to be happy limits our brain, uh, brain's potential for success, whereas cultivating positive brains um, makes us more motivated, efficient, resilient, creative, and productive, which mm-hmm. drives performance upwards. So what what is your opinion on that? I mean, I th- a lot of it, I think, is just social relationships, right? Because we know mm-hmm. that, so social relationships, we know that money in and by itself doesn't buy you happiness. And like one of the strongest predictors of um, whether you're satisfied with your life, whether you experience positive affect, whether you don't have any mental um, health issues is whether you have thriving social relationships. And I think this is like, it's essentially kind of playing into this, right? If you have, if you have social relationships, they are creating opportunities for you. They are creating um, creativity for you. They are creating positivity um, in a way. And like, once you have that, it's so much easier to build on that network of friendships, of professional relationships that are hopefully positive and say, okay, like, how can we all do this together? It's like so much more, I think this is why I'm like one of the, it's like, it's like so lucky that like academics can work in, in teams. Um, it's like oftentimes very kind of close relationships that we have with students and our, our collaborators. And it's really what, what is kind of getting me up in every morning. And like, I look forward mm-hmm. to seeing my colleagues. I look forward to talking to my students about work. Um, and I think it's really these social relationships that to some extent make you both successful uh, in your professional careers, but then also just happy um, in life more generally. Yeah. Um, another part to failure that, I mean, another part to happiness is um, <laughs> responding to failure. And uh, there, the book talks about also three paths to responding to failure. And part one is mm-hmm. path one is no change. Path two is more bad things happen and you're worse off. And path three is basically failure makes us more stronger. So in your opinion, what should we do to respond to failure at times? Yeah. I, I mean, for me, it's super interesting. Cause so I grew up in, in Germany. That's why I spent um, all of my, my teenage years and like before I, I, I moved to England. And I think there's a huge difference to the U S and there's a huge difference in terms of the culture um, of how you deal with failure. So if you look at Germany, there's like a, the, the culture is a lot stronger in terms of punishing failure. 
Um, so if you are an entrepreneur whose company has failed, you're essentially kind of written off as a failure. You have no idea how business works. Um, if you fail as an entrepreneur in the US, it's like this is what you have to do in order to become uh, uh, a successful entrepreneur, right? So the US, I think, is is much more accepting of failure. And I think they have this mentality of, well, you kind of learn from failures. That's the only way that you can actually get better. And there's certain cultures that don't have that at all. So like, I don't, I know that Germany, this is like the, the one that I obviously know the, the best, but also if you think about Asian cultures is oftentimes this kind of, um, this worry about like face saving, like what happens if I fail on something? And I do think it's, it's very harmful to both individuals and society at large, right? Cause everybody makes mistakes. And to some extent, I do think we have to learn from failures, um, and I think we shouldn't take ourselves too seriously in saying, okay, because there's like our actions, our success is determined by so many factors that are outside of our control, right? It's like, even if I am the smartest person in the room with the best idea, it's not guaranteed that it's going to succeed because it depends on the context, it's the time, right? And so on um, and so forth. And um, so kind of just being accepting of failure, I think is, is super important. Now, I should say, and this is something that I really strongly dislike about Silicon Valley, for example, and the tech companies is I think oftentimes they have the opposite mentality, right? It's like Facebook's move fast and break things. Um, and I think there's a limit or like a boundary to how much should we actually pushing for this failure and kind of being accepting of break things and, and move fast. Because um, if like the, that mentality has actually gotten us into this idea of like, okay, we are just kind of launching product after product. And what is breaking at the end of the day is, is society. So I think it has to be this kind of balance between, yes, we're kind of accepting a failure and we're seeing it as an opportunity to grow, but we also shouldn't get to this point where it's absolutely has, has no consequences at all failing. Because if, if failing means that you're actually hurting um, other people and you're hurting society at large, then I do think we can't just be like, okay, let's fail um, as often as we want and then, and then just move on. So kind of, is a bit of a balance. Yeah. And I think, um, it definitely relates to, um, the philosophy of stoicism and how happiness, um, and freedom begin with a clear understanding of one principle. And that is some things are within our control and others are not. And, um, going back to the, to the book of, um, the happiness advantage, he also agrees with you on the, on the basis of relationships and he talks about the social support network and mm -hmm. how it makes us more happier, more productive, energetic. And, um, one thing that he does say is that, um, our social support can prove the difference between succumbing to the cult of the average and achieving our fullest potential. So to wrap this up, I would like you to give your opinion on this quote. Yeah. I think, I think it's a great um, quote. And I, I, yeah, I couldn't agree with it more. Um, Cause and you see that, I mean, so I, again, work in, work in academia and you see that there's oftentimes working with PhD student, there's the totally different approaches, right? So some um, cohorts are super competitive with one another. They're like, oh, okay, am I better or worse than the other PhD student in the program? And my goal is to be better than, whoever else is, is in the same, is in the same program. And those cohorts are never as successful as cohorts to actually work together. 
Um, and it's like, it's extremely powerful to see because you can really tell that, okay, this is a cohort where people get along and people realize that just the success of their friend is not a failure of on their own part, right? It's like if they work together, they're much better off because they can work on stuff together. They can help each other um, in terms of figuring out new methods, writing papers or whatever it is. Um, so I totally agree that on so many levels, because to some extent, it just means that you have more opinions, you have more perspectives if you work together. But then I think for me personally, it's like a lot of it has to do with, with motivation. Um, it's like, it's one thing to sit in an office and kind of try to do your own thing and try to be productive. But if you have this kind of drive of, well, there's other people involved that share the same goals, share the same values, share the same work ethic, um, potentially, I think this is, it's just kind of increases the motivation, like your desire to get up in the morning and, and walk over to the, to the office. And I think that really makes all the difference. Yeah. One last thing. Is that um, before what you just said there was also um, also just popped up into my head. It relates to like the because um, I'm really passionate on like basically comparing yourself with someone. So mm-hmm. um, me for me personally, I used to compare myself to a lot of other people in like in just in general in school in online. Um, and the thing is, what what one of the biggest thing that I learned was that um, to compare yourself with someone that has been completely like raised differently and has different economical and cultural backgrounds. Mm-hmm. It's just simply unfair and leads to failure. And the only mm-hmm. person you can actually compare yourself to is yourself. And that's I, one of the biggest I things I've learned. Couldn't agree more. This is also one of the things that I, yeah. that I tell MBA students and it's really powerful because like, well, as you say, like, first of all, it doesn't help you comparing yourself to others and feeling bad about it because it doesn't give you any motivation. Right. Like if you just look at what people do and you get the press, it's not going to get you anywhere. Um, and yeah. it's incredibly helpful to compare yourself. Like what happened like a half a year ago? I remember when I started um, my my job as a faculty member at Columbia, like the first year is rough. Right. You you start as a professor. You have no idea what you're doing. There's like so many new demands. Um, and I think and there's like other people who are doing extremely well, who are thriving. And I think in the beginning, it was like, how am I supposed to handle all of this, right? How am I supposed to be as good as my my other colleagues? And I think for me, it was extremely powerful to think back, okay, like when I started my PhD, like I, I knew nothing. <laughs> um, and like, here I am, now I kind of um, have a better sense of how this world works, how to kind of conduct research. And it's really those, I just had to actively, and I had it at some point as a calendar pop up, would have just kind of reminded me of just think back to... Um, to like just three years ago, a year ago, where you were and how you've developed. So I think this is incredibly good advice that you just gave. Yeah. Yeah. And just to wrap this up with um, a quote that relates to this is um, one of my favorite Stoic philosophers, Marcus Aurelius said that everything we hear is an opinion, not a fact. And everything we see is a perspective, not a truth. And so we should train ourselves to find um contrast and you'll save yourself from a lot of disappointment and discouragement so thank you uh, thanks a lot for coming in to the show sandra thank you so much it was great just give it a